Hello, fellow cinephiles, and welcome to another episode of One More Take, where we discuss all things movies over a nice glass of wine, beer, or your favorite cocktail. My name is Demi, and I'm joined by Jasmine and Jordana. Hi, ladies. How are you? Hi. What are we drinking? So, let's see. Tonight, I'm drinking a beer. I'm drinking... Um, it's a sour triple, so it's like 9%, which is getting riled up for Twilight later. Ooh. It's like for beer, for beer, that's it's from um, Victory Brewing Company. It's really good. I love sour beers. If you haven't tried, if you like kind of tart stuff, but you're not a beer person, you might like a sour beer. Nice. What about you, Jess? Well, you're riling up. I'm over here mellowing out. I'm having a sleepy time tea by Celestial Seasonings. <laughs> Seasonings. Yeah. So nice, nice and mellow. Got my little lemongrass spearmint in there. <laughs> Chamomile. Well, I'm drinking a rosé again, the Chateau St. Michel. I actually looked it up this time. It's from Washington. Oh, I was wrong. And I formally apologize to Chateau St. Michel <laughs> for saying you were from California. My bad. No worries. I don't think they got too offended. No, because they don't know who we are. Because they're a huge brand. <laughs> they will soon. They will soon. You will know. Climb on Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Let's get into the quick take. So, what's happened in the movie world since we last spoke? I mean, a lot has happened. So much. Um, so much. But basically... Movie studios in the past week or so have decided to push back basically every remaining major tentpole title that was scheduled to be released in 2020. So we have James Bond, No Time to Die, um, moving back to April 2021. We have Pixar Soul. It's being pushed back to Christmas Day 2020, actually. And it's going straight to Disney+. Plus. No additional fee, so no Mulan. Um, and then it'll be shown in theaters in those regions where Disney Plus is not yet available. Warner Brothers finally pushed back Dune to October 2021. Still no word on Wonder Woman 1984 as we are recording this episode. And last but not least, Regal Theaters has decided that they're going to close their theaters until further notice. What the fuck is going to happen <laughs> to movie theaters to this movie landscape I yeah I mean it's forever changed I think we know that um I mean there's so much to take away from but I think we all kind of knew it was moving like when we were talking about movies we were looking forward to and we said bond you know we're looking forward to bond but it'll probably get pushed back and it did and I think um also the soul shows that Mulan was not like a hit or that that format Right, of charging people was probably not as successful as they wanted it to be. Or charging the tw- yeah, yeah, charging, charging the twenty nine, yeah, the thirty bucks, yeah, yeah. that didn't yeah, work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah, it probably wouldn't have worked for Soul at all because it was no. definitely not as well known as Mulan, so that wouldn't yeah. have been the way to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's a family, like we've discussed, it's a family movie. It's just much um, better, you know, to just release it on streaming for that reason, I think, as well. And I I know, like, yeah. another movie that they're moving back is Jurassic World Domination all the way to 2022. 
wow, aggressive name, first of all. <laughs> Domination. Yeah. As if things aren't bad enough, I have dinosaurs to dominate <laughs> That's our right. planet to look forward to. Um, wow. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a matter of time before Wonder Woman gets pushed back. Yeah. And the Batman got pushed back because the Batman had October mm-hmm. 1st, 2021, that Dune now has. Um, so I'm guessing like Jurassic World and the Batman being pushed back is not only just a result of like all these like 2020 releases like being yeah. pushed to 2021, but also delays in like filming because, you know, cast and crew members are testing positive yeah. mm-hmm. for COVID and stuff like that. There's so, so much that they're battling with. Yeah, yeah, and you know we're going to have a gap, right? Once stuff gets started back up again, if ever, and we're getting all these movies, but then there's going to be a gap because nothing can really, or, you know, filming is slowly starting back up, but then there's going to be, like, a film desert like we've never seen before. That's a good point, yeah. Yeah, I just thought of that. But also, I feel horrible for the movie, like, the people who work in movie theaters, it's horrible. I mean, I think, yeah, yeah just, it's, it, I, I don't know how those businesses, yeah, will be able to open back up until we have a, a vaccine that, that is proven to work. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> because oh. the movie theaters <laughs> that I would go to are not, are still not open. So, yeah, I don't know if they would have been open in November or December for these movies if they were still happening for Christmas Day. Yeah. Yeah, I walked by the 34th Street movie theater, the one we always went to, and it was just all, like, boarded up. And that's an AMC, that's not a Regal, but it was all boarded up. I was like, that's fucking depressing. Well, well, on to happier news. (laughs) Which I do have. I do have some happy news. And this is in regards to Spider-Man 3. So we now know that Benedict Cumberbatch will be appearing in the film as Peter's mentor. Spoiler alert, if you have not seen Endgame, maybe don't listen to this part. But he will be maybe taking over the part from Iron Man. Love you 3000, man. But he, as far as we know, Shout out. he's not going to be in this Marvel universe at this point in time. Um, so that's an exciting possibility for us. Another thing that's really exciting is Jamie Foxx will be reprising his role as Electro. This is the villain that was in the 2014 The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which was Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. So, I mean, is this the start of the multiverse for Marvel? I mean, because at the end, did you guys see uh, the Mm -hmm. last Spider-Man movie, Far From Home? No. Yes. I did not. What a shock. Okay, so. (laughs) I, I enjoyed it. So there was, was a character <laughs> from, I won't go into details just in case, <laughs> there is a character mm-hmm. from the Tobey Maguire trilogy that appeared in that film. Oh, yes. So, <laughs> it, it, and then now we're getting Electro, which was in the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man universe. So, I mean, is Spider-Man 3 going to be the beginning of 
the multiverse for Marvel? Maybe. It sounds like it to me. Like, just because, like, as you said, Jasmine, there was that character in Spider-Man 2, Far From Home, from the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans, and now you're having Jamie Foxx reprise his role um, from the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. So, like, I'm guessing, like, this is where they're headed, especially, I think, also if they're, um, if Doctor Strange is also going to be, like, a major part of the mm-hmm. film so i'm i'm excited to see what's gonna happen <laughs> so when i like i saw that news tre- about you know dr strange being in spider-man i saw it trending on twitter and this is a legitimate question you guys i just don't understand why this is like a big deal i'm just like are no, you... this would take like okay. twenty minutes but, to like, explain. Okay, that's fine. But like, it's, I mean, they're in the same universe. How is this? I just don't get. Like, I I feel like anytime I watch a Marvel movie, I just expect anyone to pop up at this point. So the the second Doctor Strange film is titled The Multiverse of Madness. So that's just further proof of this multiverse. The other reason is just we didn't know who was going to take over that mentor role for Spider-Man. Okay, Okay. yeah. So (laughs) and they're going in. But like, but I knew the multiverse existed ever since like Endgame. So I just I guess it's just not connecting in my mind. I don't know. I just didn't get what the big deal was. That's his power. I, I wouldn't say End- Endgame wasn't multiverse. It was time yeah, travel. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the difference. I mean, okay. the difference is they were going through their timeline, the timeline that we mm-hmm. saw already. What yeah, Spider-Man yeah. might be doing would be connecting all of the Spider-Man movies that we saw, mm-hmm. and saying that they. Yeah. All exist or different exactly. multiverses. Yeah, that okay. Okay, Just, see, that makes sense. They sh- they should do the same for the Hulks. Like, let's bring back Eric yeah, Bono and tie it all together. And Eric yeah. Norton. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I know. Um, mm. Three Spider-Mans, three Hulks. <laughs> one one is enough. The one that they chose to add to the Avengers is enough. I yeah, no, not enough for me. Uh-huh. I'm still sorry, guys. I'm still not down with what to face. Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> like Mark Ruffalo. I do. I know. No, hey, you're titled. I'm just I, very likable. I, I was. I was with the Edward I mean, Norton boat. Edward and... Norton is more attractive to myself, but oh, like wow. Mark Ruffalo did a good job. <laughs> I anyways before I this think, <laughs> yeah <laughs> Mark Ruffalo worked in the universe that they wanted his character to work in yeah I mean they could have they would have had to change Edward's version a little bit but he screen tested with like Robert Downey Jr like when he ca- when they casted Edward Norton they knew what they were like but the way that they did that film versus what they did to the Hulk in the Avengers, I mean, yeah. they could have. I I just think they but, just chose well, they to made do him a different route. But I also more of a supporting character, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, and I feel like the, it was Mark Ruff- Ruffalo's take yeah. on the Hulk, not so. Yeah, 
But anyways, um, let's get to our main discussion in the long take. In honor of the upcoming elections, we thought it'd be fun to round up some of our most liked political election-themed movies that we'd like to share and discuss. So we're going to go around and share our picks. So Jasmine, why don't you start us off? Okay, so for my first pick, I chose Lincoln, which came out in 2012. It was directed by Steven Spielberg, and it stars Daniel Day-Lewis, Tommy Lee Jones, and Sally Field. This film covers the final four months of Lincoln's life, focusing on his efforts to abolish slavery and involuntary servitude by having the 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution passed by the United States House of Representatives. I thought Spielberg did a great job in bringing this story to life, and it was interesting to watch Lincoln as he struggled to get the support and votes from the Democrats and Republicans. Um, I mean, this is a battle that always goes on between these two parties, and it's, it's kind of cool to watch the beginnings of the difference of these parties and watch them kind of go back and forth. Um, I thought Daniel Day-Lewis was great in this film. Uh, You could definitely tell that he did his research. Um, From some of the comments that I've read, it seems like his portrayal is historically accurate. I mean, just the way that he moved his body and the way that he modulated his voice for this, I, I thought he deserved to win the Best Oscar nomination for this film. Did you guys see this film? I did not. I honestly, you know, it's interesting. So I love um, Doris Kearns Goodwin and I really love Tony Kushner, but for some reason it just, I don't know. I just, I have personal issues staying engaged, I guess, in this era um, and being like, oh yeah, I want to see this movie, even though I obviously know like, like this was an incredibly significant time. Um, but yeah, I haven't seen it. So do you feel like it, like, do you feel like it was too long at all or anything like that? I'm just curious. I didn't find it too long, but I know that that was some of the responses that this film got received, but I thought it was fine. I mean, there are a couple of points where it was a little slow for me, but overall, I enjoyed my experience watching it. What about you, Demelsa? Did you see it? Yeah, I actually did. Um, I really enjoyed the performances, um, especially from Daniel Day-Lewis, of course. Um, I think, to your point, Jasmine, I feel like there were during like some parts of the film where it was like a bit slow, but I don't think like overall the film felt long. Um, and it was nominated for an Oscar. Yay. <laughs> it was. And I kind of wanted it to win, but there is another movie that won that I'm actually okay with it winning. <laughs> what what won Best Picture that year? What year was it? 20... Argo won. Argo. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, okay. Good movie. Good movie. Good movie. I think deserved. <laughs> I agree. All right. So I am next. And my movie is 
also, well, it's a Netflix documentary. That's not the 13th, but mine is Knock Down the House. So this is a documentary that it revolves around primary campaigns of four different women in the 2018 midterm election. So all of these women were progressives and most of them were primarying the incumbent. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a movie I really enjoyed because I feel like it showed for every, you know, one woman succeeds, all these other women fail. And like it, you feel like um, a fly on the wall in kind of all of their struggles as underdogs because they were all, you know, considered progressives. So they were all kind of these grassroots campaigns that were going up against you know, a huge political machine of the party. Um, and one of them is AOC, but there is another candidate in this film that it ties into um, a race that's happening this year in 2020. So I found that really interesting. I think it's just, yeah, it's a really interesting movie to watch about women in politics, about campaigns, the money it takes to have a campaign, um, so yeah, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but I, I really recommend it. It's on Netflix and it's, I feel like it's just so engaging and it kind of takes you through the highs and lows. Um, and it's definitely, I don't know if people want to watch it before this election, but you, you do leave it feeling relatively uplifted. Um, no, I, I've heard of this before. I've been meaning to you know, watch it, but I haven't. Uh, but I think it's definitely something that's very empowering, especially since like, you know, 2016, when we thought we were going to have the first female president, but you know, we didn't. But like, just to see like, just the, the dominoes effect from that, how like, it encouraged so many like, women to like, you know, run for office, whether it was like, you know, in their local government or the state level and such. Yeah, exactly. And that's something like the film focuses on about how after the 2016 election, yeah, a lot of these women were, you know, inspired to run because, yeah, they felt like they were not represented and they were not happy with, you know, the people representing them. And they were like, you know what, I can, I can do this, or I really want to give this a go. Um, so yeah, I really, really highly recommend it. I do, you know, I know documentaries aren't for everyone and I'm a person who loves documentaries, but I think even if you're not a documentary person, it's still, it's still very compelling. Oh, that's good to know. I'm usually not so much a documentary kind of person. I don't gravitate towards it, but I mean, I could always use more information on how campaigns are run and I think it would be interesting to watch just and get more information on women in politics because I feel like that's something we don't usually see or we don't or at least yeah. in my opinion I don't have a lot of information on yeah, and what it, goes on with women in politics you know yeah and then you know AOC ended up so she was she won her race obviously and she became the youngest person to ever hold, like, hold off. I believe she was 29 um, when she won. And yeah, I, I just feel like politics and like the inner workings 
it is something that is that the rules were were made created to be hard to understand and so i i think this kind of gives you um a good look at what it means to be an underdog and how you know you're really going against a lot when you're a small campaign with not a lot of money um and you're really depending on those like $5 $20 donations and really just out there doing community work and engaging with people. And that's how um, these women were able to kind of challenge the incumbents, at least, because a lot of these incumbents had never even, you know, faced someone who had to really run a primary in quite a long time. Um, And so I think... Yeah, it's really representative of the times, how people are fed up with, you know, the status quo and are really, really just want someone who will, who will help them and not be kind of part of the the DC, like machine, quote unquote. All right, I guess it's my turn. Uh, my pick, it's actually the Ides of March. Um, it stars George Clooney, also directed by George Clooney. And it's a 2011 political drama um, alongside Ryan Gosling, Philip Seymour Hoff- Hoffman, um, Marissa Tomei, Jeffrey Wright, and Evan Rachel Wood. Uh, actually, when I first saw this movie, I was really taken by it. And you think you know where the movie's headed towards, but then it like kind of takes a turn that you aren't expecting or you didn't see coming so basically just to give a brief summary of the film uh ryan gosling he's part of clooney's character's campaign so clooney plays as governor of pa mike morris who's running for president uh ryan gosling plays um stephen myers who's part of his campaign and it feel like i feel like the film does well to show the interpolitics of a presidential campaign just like the dynamics and just how one misstep can derail everything um did you guys like happen to see this movie or i did i saw it in theater um when when it came out i saw it with my dad i really liked it i thought it's just a really it it was a well done political thriller and i think because we have so many really great movies about american elections american politics it kind of is in like i feel like it's barely in the top 10, right? Because we have all the, you know, we have a maturity candidate, Mr. Smith goes to Washington, but it is a really fun style. I don't want to say fun. Sorry. <laughs> it's not fun, but it, it's, it, it's very engaging. It's fast paced. That's the word I was looking for. It's fast paced and engaging. And yeah, it takes kind of, there's, you know, quite a few plot twists, but I feel like it also, that shows kind of the cutthroat, world that is politics and so I thought it did you know a good idea of dramatizing it and like there were some kind of overly dramatic storylines but we we got the point and I still enjoyed it yeah actually I mean I think even those over dramatized like I think moments like I feel like it still like worked it was, it was still like credible within like the film yeah totally. um yeah no I think this is a really good film and I feel like, I don't know if it's like, um, fell under the radar, maybe a little, 
Um, Jasmine, have you seen it? I haven't. I'm not even sure if the name sounds familiar for me. So maybe it did fall off the radar. I I don't remember. I'm trying, like when you said the name, it didn't register with me. I might have to just like look at like a thumbnail or something. Maybe it'll like come to mind of this, but I'm not familiar with it. I mean, it sounds interesting. Yeah, it did definitely like that year fall under the radar, I feel like, or it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't like very talked about. I feel like it was relatively well received, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's, but you know what's interesting? It's never a movie I felt like, oh, I'm, I gotta rewatch. And it, I guess I should see, is it on streaming? I'm not sure actually, yeah. but I, I, been meaning to rewatch it just because like I remember enjoying it a lot the first time around yeah no I remember enjoying it but I've never been like oh yeah I gotta rewatch that but that doesn't mean obviously it's a bad movie or anything it's more just there's so there's so many movies out there there's so many when we were thinking about you know this topic and I was just thinking there's so many movies like I need to watch that are on my list that I just haven't gotten to so yeah yeah, there are so many on my list that I'm kind of ashamed that I haven't seen that have been on my list for a really long time and I still haven't gotten to them. So I feel you, Jordana. <laughs> yeah, like Election. I feel like that one, the one with um, Matthew Broderick and Reese Witherspoon, I really have been meaning to watch for a long time. But just- I actually got around to watching that one during you know, quarantine. Mm-hmm. That was like my project was to like watch oh, as many yeah. movies that I hadn't like gotten around to. And it's just like, when else could you do that? Like it was the perfect time to like, kind of like check a lot of, well, I tried to check off as many movies off my list, but it's also hard. Cause it's like, you kind of have to be in the right mood for like yeah. a particular genre and all that. Um, but actually to your point, Jordana, this, uh, it came out in 2011 and it was a very packed, not only like Oscar year, but like a lot of like good releases too. So I can see why it kind of like fell under the radar a bit. Yeah, but that makes it a good pick because I feel like that's kind of a movie where half the people I know would have seen it and the other half wouldn't. You know, it's not a movie like Inception where every single person, you know, we know has, has most likely seen it or been like, oh, I know about it, you know? So my next pick is for The Post, which came out in 2017, and it was directed and produced by Steven Spielberg. Apparently, I'm on a Steven Spielberg train right now. You're you're loving the Spielberg (laughs) historical (laughs) film. You're like, he's my guy. He is my guy. Yeah, apparently he's my (laughs) go-to. It's starring Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks. So in this film, we watch Catherine Graham, who's played by Meryl Streep. She has recently become the owner of the Washington Post, and she ends up teaming up with a well-known editor, Ben Bradley, who's played by Tom Hanks, and they work together to expose this massive cover-up of government secrets that spans like three decades. And if they do decide to share this information with the public, they risk their careers and freedom. Uh, This movie is based on the true story of 
these journalists at the Washington Post that uh, attempted to publish or not attempted, they published the Pentagon Papers, which was a set of classified documents uh, regarding a 20-year involvement of the United States government in Vietnam War and I believe French Indochina. Uh, this film, I feel, is a great reminder of the struggles that reporters face when trying to report the truth. It's something I don't think about a lot. And it's it's a tough it's a tough job, especially if you're going against the government. Um, I thought Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks are great in this. They had a great supporting cast in this too. But um yeah, it's I mean, there's a lot you put on the line when you're trying to uncover the truth. And especially if there's uh secrets that are decades long, having to unravel that is a hard task that I know a lot of journalists then and today uh, have to face. So are you guys familiar with this film? Yeah, I saw it when it came out that year. That was also, I feel like, a very packed year, but I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the portrayal of Catherine, of Catherine Graham because she was the first female publisher of an American newspaper, and she was not taken seriously, as we see in the film. And it kind of shows. So I enjoyed that aspect of the story as well as, you know, kind of getting the background of the Pentagon Papers and, you know, how that came to how it came to them, the whole, you know, the lawsuit, all of these things. So I did enjoy the movie as a whole, for sure. Yeah, I really enjoyed this movie as well. Amazing cast. I I feel not sorry, but kind of like it didn't get a lot of love that year that it came out. Um, I know it was nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture. And but for some reason, yeah, like I just I'm not sure why this film like didn't take off more than it. I don't know than it did. And uh, I think going back to Jordana, what you were saying, just, you know, Meryl Streep's character like and the feminist aspect to the film too it's like really elevated you know given like just like the storyline like you know you have like a bunch of reporters who are basically trying to like you know protect and save democracy but then you also have you know her storyline about like you know being this like female in this leadership role and just her struggle with being like not being taken seriously and like trying to do the right thing at the same time. Yeah, so I just looked up the nominations that year, and yeah, it was like a it was a packed year. That was like The Shape of Water, Call Me by Your Name, Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Three Billboards. So it was like a really so I can kind of see that was just definitely like there was a lot a lot of good films this year, and this one definitely. People saw, but it didn't. It definitely didn't get the same buzz as some of the other films. Yeah, I agree. I thought it would have gotten a little more buzz, but maybe this was more of a quieter film than the ones that were nominated. But you're right, it was a packed year, so it was just too much. 
too much for the public to choose between. (laughs) (laughs) We couldn't handle all the quality films. It's like, why couldn't this be distributed over like a few years instead of all of these movies coming out that one year? Yeah, I also think uh, Spielberg got some like, not criticism, but everybody kept saying like, oh, like he, this was like a film that he was like really trying to like, you know, have it be Oscar bait. And so I feel like maybe that turned off some people. I don't know. Oh, that's a good point. You know, I never heard that, but I could see how it would be like, oh, during, you know, this time, the current time politically, I'm going to make this film. And yeah, he was trying to, he wanted it to be Oscar catnip, but like they didn't quite want to bite because I feel like it's hard. Yeah, because there were so many films that had commentary that year also about you know the state of our country and that so that wasn't quite as like I'm gonna do a film about the Pentagon Papers not that that lessens you know the actual historical event at all but I never thought about that but that's a really interesting point well yeah he actually rushed to finish editing this film so it could be released in time for the 2018 Oscars. Oh, also did not know that. I'm learning so much. Oh, yeah. So I'm sure when people found out that he was rushing to get this done, it's like, okay, we know what you're here for. All right. So it's actually that film is like such a good segue into mine because where the post leaves off, right? If anyone, essentially, Catherine's like, hopefully, we'll never have to do this again. And then it cuts to like the the break-in at the Watergate Hotel, and that's where the film leaves off. And my film is All the President's Men. And I feel like this is this has to be one of the top like films about elections, about American politics, um, because of this moment in history. So this whole film is it's based on the book by Um, Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, who were the two reporters that, you know, broke the Watergate scandal and really did all of that long-term investigative journalism. And it also heavily features Ben Bradley. Um, And this is the film did such a good job of showing kind of all of the highs and lows of the like paranoia and exhilaration and the self-doubt, right? Because what they were doing was they were investigating whether or not like the president of the United States um, committed a crime and was lying about it. And so I think the underlying message of the film is the danger of unchecked power, right? And that journalism is there to help as a tool to help these like political players be honest um so and i also feel like this is a really good film for people who you know lived after the watergate after watergate happened right who didn't live through it like the three of us so you know we always had an understanding of watergate as this big event but i feel like a lot of people who didn't live through it right don't have the same kind of timeline of events and understanding of events and so I feel like this film does that well and I think everyone should see it for that reason um or even I feel like you guys love reading books before seeing the movie so you guys should read the books or the book I have not read the book 
But yeah, I mean, I don't, have you guys seen it? Or I assume you've heard of it. I've definitely heard of it. Yet again, another movie that was on my list that I have not seen. Um, <laughs> just add this that. is on my list too <laughs> yeah for years um and everything that you just how how you describe it is just more it's just so intriguing to me now I'm like why haven't I seen this film uh because I like especially after watching the post I like this angle of reminding ourselves how important uh reporters are and newspapers and because that is the only way to check power it's the as long we have to keep being informed because if we stay uninformed you know the people in power can do whatever so I like your description of this film I know you didn't make that film but (laughs) (laughs) I I take personal responsibility for making this film it's my film where's my Oscar exactly I will just sleep with it at night there we go here's that we're uncovering the truth here you were actually in charge of this film little did people know but no no. before I was born (laughs) yes it happens right but yeah, no, I'm definitely interested in this in the film. This is actually one of Sean's favorite movies. And ever since I watched The Post, and I wanted to watch all of President's Men before I went to see The Post in theaters, but I didn't get a chance to. This movie has been on my to-watch list for so long, and I haven't gotten around to it. And I feel so bad because everybody just talks it up. Um, but it's just like, it's like just one of those like great movies that like make a lot of lists and it's like one of those like you know political dramas that you you do have to watch at some point in your lifetime yeah no I totally agree I mean I have so many like there's a lot of the satirical political movies like wag the dog I haven't seen that I really want to see or Dr. Strangelove like there, there's just a lot um there, because there, there's so many right because it's it's a continuous conversation because it affects our lives right and so I think it's always interesting to people who want to tell stories right to filmmakers to screenwriters and there are real life events that you know maybe aren't as well known or well known but maybe it's a film from a different perspective so there's such a, a wide range it is really hard to to hit them all up but I mean I think because what Watergate is so significant um and because this movie is told from the investigative journalist perspective and you know kind of the slow burn of them uncovering it and following the money that it's definitely yeah a must watch and my dad you know what's interesting too about um the post versus this my dad actually had trouble with Tom Hanks, he was like, Tom Hanks is good in the post, but um, Jason Robards, who plays Ben Bradley in All the President's Men, was so amazing to him that he was comparing the Tom Hanks performance to the Jason Robards. So, and, and I believe, I think Jason Robards won, like, Best Supporting Actor um, for that. So... Yeah, so uh, that was just like an interesting thing. So I wonder like what Sean's opinion of that is, the Ben Bradley portrayal, but yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to like, you know, watch some like another actor like portray the same character. You're like, it's 
you're not gonna stop the comparison. It's like it's hard to. Yeah, it's really hard. So. Yeah, which actually it's kind of ties into like my pick. Um, it's the American president. It's with Michael Douglas and Annette Benning, and this was written by Aaron Sorkin, our beloved favorite screenwriter. <laughs> um, but it's funny because uh, I had seen The West Wing before watching this movie. And Martin Sheen is in this movie. And it's so hard to kind of like take Michael Douglas as the president when the entire time I'm thinking, but Martin Sheen is the president. What are you doing? Um, but anyways, um, this is actually a I wanted to throw in like a fun pick into this list because it's a rom-com about a sitting U.S. president, you know, played by Michael Douglas, who falls in love with a lobbyist played by Annette. Benning and it's just it's kind of interesting to see just how you know the public has an opinion about this even though it's his you know private life how he kind of is forced to pick between his career and his love life and just like you know the dynamics that play out and I was the entire time I was like watching this movie I was like thinking oh I wonder how this would like play out in real life if like you know you had a widowed president who was like starting to date while he was you know you know still in the white house like would the public like be up and like outraged because it's like no the president shouldn't date he should be focused on his duties or i'm not sure i feel like people would like have strong opinions about it and not let him be or her be um yeah yeah i've seen this movie i i really enjoy it and i feel like this is like a good pick if you don't want something as intense as some of our previous picks. Yeah. Like, it, it is, you know, th- there are for sure serious moments because it's like Aaron Sorkin. So you got to have like the speeches to like, <laughs> to like rile people up. And, um, but yeah, it's interesting too because, you know, Martin Sheen plays the, the Leo character, like from the, like West, this was written before the West Wing, obviously. But it is interesting if you've watched the, the West Wing, and you you see so clearly the similarities between the American president and the West Wing. But yeah, I, I also agree with you. I think it explores an interesting dynamic of having a single, you know, um, president, you know, who's he's unattached, he's a widower, and exploring that. I think actually it would be really interesting for this movie to be remade purely because of social media and how I I think they could do a really interesting remake by including social media um, because this movie was made before that time before that so I feel like I would kind of obviously there's so many ways to mess up you know a great movie but I feel like that could add an interesting layer to it because they already received so much scrutiny in this film and like attacked, you know, Annette Benning's character, and he didn't. I think the Michael Douglas character didn't want to kind of. He didn't even want to like dignify like the interest in it, and so he. It was just no comment, no comment, no comment, which was probably what would happen now as well. But yeah, I think that would be a really cool idea, Aaron Sorkin. I actually, I'm. I really like that idea. I feel like it would really be an interesting film. Or a remake, actually, just to, you know, layer in the social media aspect, because I feel like it's, it would change a lot to the story. And I feel like it goes for, like, anything. Um, 
Jasmine, have you seen this movie? Why you gotta shame me like that? Um, <laughs> no. you, Jasmine, you would love this movie. I feel like you really would because it's like a, a romantic kind of movie, but there's there's some comedy. There's some there's definitely some like comedic parts, like when he tries to buy her flowers and like he's uh, like wallet. that part. I have the dogwood, <laughs> dogwood. Um, and but there's also like dramatic parts. Like it's a good romantic dramedy, we shall say. Oh, I love that. See, I, I'm a big fan of rom-coms, rom- romantic dramedies. So, I mean, it sounds like it's right up my alley. And for your question of if this was real life and we had a single president and he started dating or she started dating, would the public leave them alone? The answer is no. No, they would not. <laughs> They yeah. would not be able to date in peace. No, yeah. it would be worse with social media. Like yeah. and in the film, it was bad, you know, obviously because people are interested, but like just I think the um it, it it would be so much worse, especially because the the female lead was a lobbyist as well, an environmental lobbyist. And yeah. so yeah, it would it would yeah, I can't even imagine because it was already bad in the film. But that just shows social media and what it's done to um, how we interact, how we communicate, how we perceive people, especially. All of their dates would have to be like inside the White House, like so they can have some like privacy. How boring would that get? Yeah, I know. All right, Jasmine, I think you have a bonus pick for our little roundup of movies. Okay, my bonus pick is for the film Argo. Surprise, surprise, it came out in 2012, and this was directed by Ben Affleck, and it was starring Ben Affleck as well. Brian Cranston is in there, and John Goodman is in this film as well. So this film uh, takes place in 1979, when uh, 66 hostages Uh, were taken at the U.S. Embassy in Iran. Six of those hostages were managed to escape and find refuge with a Canadian ambassador. The U.S. government then calls upon this CIA extractor named Tony Mendez, who devises a plan to pose as a Hollywood producer scouting locations in Iran, and then he trains the refugees to act as his film crew. I mean, from that description alone, I remember watching the trailer and reading the description. I was like, what is this? And like, this is wild. And to find out that this is actually happened, like blows my mind because this that whole description just sounds like a Hollywood movie. It's it's like a film that I would pay to watch someone like that thought up or was a dream by a director. And to have this act, like this is a true story. I mean, of course, not everything that happened in the film happened the way that it did, but just the premise alone, it it's crazy that this was a true story. Uh, I thought the pacing of this film was great. Like this was a great thriller. Uh, it had me on the edge of my seat. I'm. This might be my favorite 
Ben Affleck directed film, possibly. I might I might be putting that out there. Uh, <laughs> but it's I, interesting. You see, oh, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say that I think Ben does a really good job at creating tension in his films. Uh, I watched The Town recently, and I'm just kind of comparing that. So maybe that might be his forte. That might be his strong suit. What were you going to say? No, I was going to say, I, like, I, I love the film, first and foremost, probably one of my favorite films of the year. And yeah, I immediately, as you were talking, I was like, is this my favorite Ben Affleck film? Because um, I've seen quite a few. And I do. It, it's definitely up there. It's it's really good. And yeah, I think you you hit the nail on the head with the fact um, that the, he does the the pacing is so good. And yeah, I've noticed that in his, some of his other films like gone baby gone, which that's one of his early ones and the pacing. That's also a thriller is, is, is phenomenal in that film. They build it so well. So he for sure is great. I feel like I, (laughs) I enjoy him more as a director than as an actor. Um, And it was definitely like well-deserved and yeah, I, I mean, I know definitely at the end, like the part, with the plane taking off and that that was all dramatized but for the most part I feel like this also offers something to kind of our generation who did not live through um this like hostage crisis and you know I think it but it was a really cool take to see the behind the scenes aspects of it and you know I believe when in, in real life like all the credit went to the Canadians, like in the Canadian embassy and all of that stuff. So even if a lot of it was dramatized, it was super interesting to see the behind the scenes crafting of it and um, that sort of stuff. And yeah, he, it it was just such a well executed film. I'm with you there, Jordan. I think he is a better director than actor. And I've really enjoyed like his film so far. I think Jasmine also with you on the whole, Argo was probably my favorite as well out of Ben Affleck's films. Um, he just knows how to like direct a good, um, I guess maybe, I don't want to say thriller, but like suspense drama thriller. Yeah, and he does it good. very well. Um, Argo had me basically at the edge of my seat the entire time, especially during that plane scene at the end. It's just like, oh my God. Are they going to make it? I know, you're it? like about to pee yourself when that happens. like you're seeing the movie for the first time, yeah. you're like, like you're, it just leaves you breathless. And that's, you know, you want a, a film experience where you're so into it, right? Like this is a, a somewhat historical event. Like if you looked it up beforehand, you would kind of know what happens. But it, it just, or even like a lot of people, you know, like lived you know like live through the news cycle of this event so they knew but it just yeah he does it so well and it's so sad that he didn't get nominated for best director that year but at least the movie won for best picture so yeah, i remember being bit. really angry about that yeah, <laughs> and i'm not so even upset. a ben affleck stan but i was like this was the best movie of the year like shut it down <laughs> like he should he should have been nominated yeah this was definitely it deserved the best picture you I was with you edge of the seat what's gonna happen do they make it because I wasn't familiar with this story so I was like what's gonna happen (laughs) tell me what's gonna happen then tell me (laughs) also Alan Arkin Alan Arkin was great yeah yeah he's so good 
Yeah, I just and now I want to rewatch it. I'm like, I should rewatch it this week because it's I probably haven't seen it since it came out, but I should rewatch it. It's so good. Yeah. Well, I hope all of our picks inspires all of you listeners out there to go out and vote, register to vote, have a plan to vote, whatever that may be. You know, the elections are coming up soon. So as you're like watching one of these films, like maybe, you know, start laying out your plan. Um, Yeah, make a plan. There's lots of different routes to vote. Just the important thing is you vote. There's a lot of information out there. Educate yourself, do your own research and make your own decisions. Yeah, and try and stay as informed as you can. That's probably the most important thing. Just stay informed. Yep. And verify your sources too. Yes. Always, what is it? Uh, trust but verify. <laughs> yes. That's actually the public accounting motto. Trust but verify. <laughs> now we turn to our last segment of the show, One More Take, where we share a film we recently watched and whether, yay, we really liked it or nay, it was a waste of our time. So Jordana, why don't you start? All right. So this week I watched Margin Call, which... I forgot how I stumbled on, oh, you know, I was looking up the director, J.C. Chandor, who did um, A Most Violent Year, and I was like, oh, yeah, this movie came out, Um, and it's about, so it's a drama thriller film about um, a Wall Street investment bank during kind of the beginning stages of the 07-08 crisis, so it's a really, I really enjoyed it. It's a really good, fast-paced film, and I feel like it it explores capitalism in a linear way um, that I really enjoyed because I always want to understand things. I want to, and especially things like finance and Wall Street that are these laws and quote unquote rules were made to be difficult to understand, right? Like people don't have a high literacy in this and there's a lot of trust involved and it um, uh, that is kind of one of the reasons for the that economic crisis we had but so the film follows kind of um all of these people like all the different from like kind of the junior analyst who figures something out and then brings it to his boss and his boss and you know kind of the panic that ensues when they realize um the financial problems this firm is in so i feel like this film got overshadowed by um the Big Short, which Big Short came out in 2015. Margin Call came out in 2011. And The Big Short, I feel like, is more of a layered film that is woven together, whereas Margin Call is really showing the people who work at these firms and how to survive. You just have to care about yourself personally and about the firm and putting that first. You can't really care about your clients. Um, and it really showed what a cutthroat world it is. Um, so I enjoyed that. Was it better than The Big Short? Not necessarily, but I, I definitely would still recommend seeing it. Have you guys seen it? Yeah, actually, I did see it back in 2011, I think, or 2012, um, shortly after it was released. And I really enjoyed it. I think it's actually, a, I would say, a good companion piece to The Big Short. Um, Margin Call is more of like, you know, it's definitely a drama as opposed yeah, to the they tell short, like a drama yeah so i would i think yeah maybe the big short is a tad bit more entertaining maybe the mm-hmm. better film but i still think yeah margin call is really good i would also recommend it 
So we might as well call this podcast the list of movies that Jasmine hasn't seen. Say it ain't so. I mean, I hadn't seen this film until this week, if it makes you feel any better. Yes, that makes me feel slightly better. But no, it sounds interesting, just like all the other picks that you guys have had. Just like every film ever, it's interesting. Yeah, but I don't I don't think this one was on my list, so you've brought it to my awareness now. Yeah, it's on um Amazon Prime, I believe. Well, I guess I'll go next. My my picture that I saw this week is called Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Um it's still crazy to me that this movie essentially bombed at the box office it didn't even make its budget which is insane uh this film is about this kid called scott pilgrim and he becomes infatuated with this girl called ramona flowers and ends up battling her seven exes trying to be very vague about this because I want everyone to see it. It is on Netflix because it's great. I mean, the standouts for this film for me are the transitions and the way that this film was able to use these game graphics and implement them in such a creative way. I mean, it's based off of a graphic novel, so it does have a source where it was pulling this from, but The way that they were able to bring it to screen, I thought they did a great job. Um, I mean, when I say battle the seven X's, I mean like battle like you would in an old-fashioned game. I mean, games don't look like this anymore. But like, think about like Pac-Man and like Mario when you collect the coins. Like, they have these kind of graphics in the actual film, like Cabal and like like they close a door and it ends up and you're in another scene very seamless like this it was so creative and I and they did such a great job and Michael Sarah is great in this I love I was like obsessed with Michael Sarah back around this era time so I was seeing everything he was in but this is probably one of my favorite no I shouldn't say that because I do like Juno anyway see Scott Pilgrim it's on Netflix Yay for me. Always a yay. Have you yay for me too. It? Yeah. <laughs> so it, I was going to say it has like such a cult following that like, again, to what you said, Jasmine, the fact that it bombed at the box office, given like just how much love it, it's gotten over the years. It's like, wow, I don't know. And it has an amazing cast, too. And I think the editing is well done or like the transitions is like well done in the film. So it makes it for like a very entertaining film, especially when you're like watching it now and like looking back as to like who's in it. You're like, oh, Captain America and Captain Marvel are in a film together. Um, So I need to rewatch this because when I saw it, I hated it. <laughs> but like I'm, I'm a little fuzzy. I remember I like I like actively hated this movie for like years. But now I'm like fuzzy on why. So I need to rewatch it. It's one of my sister also like loves this movie and I was talking to her about it and she was like, what? You hated it. So I will rewatch it and give it another shot. I think when I saw it, I was just taking it like too literally 
And so I, 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 and I know you can't really do that with this film. So yeah, I will definitely give it another shot because so many people seem to love it and yet has this cult following for sure. Yes, please rewatch. I, I don't know how you could hate this film. <laughs> <laughs> I, d- I just remember like, you know how there's movies you forget and then there's movies like you have a visceral hatred for. But like, yeah. I can't remember why. And with the other movies I have a visceral hatred for, I remember why. So I'm like, okay, like, you know, maybe I've matured and this movie, I, I wasn't ready for this movie. Maybe <laughs> I'm ready now. Yes. Maybe that's it. Maybe the world wasn't ready for all the crazy editing. Like, cause you're right, Melissa, the editing on this film, insane, but. I digress. I, I could rant about this film forever. What about you, Demilsa? What did you see? I actually recently watched The English Patient. You know, it's, a, I would say, a classic. You know, something that comes up on the must-watch movie list. So, finally got around to watching it. And I have to say, I was a little bit disappointed. I was like, you know, I was told it's a great love story. So, I was like, really like looking forward to like kind of watching a movie that told a great love story and it, and, and I feel like it does to a certain extent um it stars Rafe Fiennes as a Hungarian map maker who falls in love with Kristen Scott Thomas and kind of so you would think that the movie would focus on their story for the most part but I feel like it then also interweaves two other storylines which I think is what kind of like put me off to the film because like I feel like you have three storylines that they're trying to focus and like interweave and like cut back and forth from and it kind of I think makes you lose the thread of the of the film or makes you like lose maybe not interest but like you're not like as heavily invested anymore. So for me I would say this was a May. It was in the middle. I wouldn't say it's a nay. I feel like everyone should like try to give this movie a shot but it just kind of like failed to deliver on everything that it kind of promised <laughs> yeah it seems like it fell a little short for you this is a movie I've always known about but yeah I've never felt like I don't know compelled to watch it or been like oh that seems like an interesting story like let me watch it it was always something I vaguely knew about but I was I it was never something I I think was like on my list or I was gonna actively seek out to watch yeah same for me I I remember hearing about it. I remember knowing who was in it. And I vaguely remembered what it was about. Because there's also, it's based on a book, right? Am I right about this? I'm not sure, actually. I, th- I thought right. so. I, th- I, th- I believe so. Well, if it is, then I think I it was on my list of books, but not movie-wise. Um, and to hear that it's a meh, it kind of confirms Confirms what I kind of thought I would feel watching it, but I I still might check it out because I I did it did get some praise from the critics I believe. No, no, it's yeah, it's it was well received the film itself and nominated for you know best picture at the Oscars. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure it won like best picture, best director. I think Julia Binoche won best supporting actress. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a, it was a beloved movie that year. I think we can say. Yeah, it was. Um, no, so yeah, English Patient, I'd say check it out, but, you know, don't expect great things. 
<laughs> Check it out, but it's not that great, guys. Let me know. All right, that wraps up another episode of One More Take. Listeners, if you enjoyed listening to this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. You may also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at underscore one more take. Until next time, bye. Bye. Bye.